it is good to be with you this evening. As you know, next Sunday is the first Sunday in Advent. And so liturgically, this Sunday is uh, what is known as Christ the King Sunday. And uh, so my sermon tonight uh, has this in mind, uh, this focus, as we look at this passage in Ephesians chapter 1. Uh, let's bow for a word of prayer. Holy God, as we listen to these words, may our hearts be attentive to you. Make us humble, O God, so that we will accept your word. And please make us bold so that we might live out your word. To your glory we pray. I invite you to turn in the Bible to Ephesians chapter 1, beginning at verse 15. For this very reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints, I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. I pray also that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints and his incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is like the working of his mighty strength which he exerted in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every title that can be given, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. The word of the Lord. A few weeks ago, three high school girls said that they would like to have lunch with me, my office. This is good. And uh, so we had lunch, and uh, the reason for this is they had ideas for chapel. And I, I listened with eagerness, and I liked what they had to say. But as they were talking, I just felt that the reason they had these ideas is because they were hungering for more of Jesus in their life. They wanted to be challenged more. They wanted to go deeper. They wanted to be stronger in their walk with Jesus Christ. And that encouraged me. They didn't see chapel as an obligation, but it was an opportunity. This evening, this is not just an obligation. This, this time that we have together, it is an opportunity. For we have not gathered here simply because this is a good deed. But I hope that we have gathered because we recognize our great need. And I believe that tonight, as, as we fix our gaze on the Lord Jesus Christ, 
that we will, that we will worship him. And that we will meet with God. And it comes simply by looking to Jesus. That is the theme of this message. Look to Jesus. Now this text that I just read, I mean, it, it's, it's big, it's, it's thick, it is full. Uh, there's a lot there. But I simply have uh, drawn a few things out uh, toward this theme of looking to Jesus. So I'd like to spend the next few minutes uh, with you uh, reflecting on the saving work of Jesus Christ, the power of Jesus, and the rule of Jesus. So first, the saving work of Jesus. Now, Ephesians chapter 1, verses 3 to 14, in the Greek, it is all one sentence. I mean, Apostle Paul and run-on sentences, whoa. And then verses 15 to 23, what I just read in the Greek is all one sentence. Now, full disclosure, I did not discover this. But Paul is basically in the beginning. It is just, he is talking about one thought, the saving work of Jesus. And because of the saving work of Jesus, he can say what he says in verses 15 to 23. So in verse uh, uh, 15, for this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in Jesus, meaning your faith in the saving work of Jesus. I just uh, picked one verse out of the, uh, the opening section, verses 3 to 14, that I think summarizes well the saving work of Jesus. Ephesians 1, 7. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace. Friends, we can never let this just be a theological concept. The saving work of Jesus Christ needs to be the foundation of who we are, and it should rock our world, affect all of our life. Because through the saving work of Jesus, we have gone from poor to rich, from weak to strong, from slave to free. We have gone from death to life in Jesus Christ. And this comes not by our deeds and our efforts. It is a gift of God that simply comes through faith. The Apostle Paul says, your faith in the Lord Jesus. So I was thinking about that. What does it mean to truly have faith? I don't think this is faith. Just to say, you know, the Nicene Creed, casual, yeah, I agree with that. Sure, yeah, it's, it's good. This isn't faith. I believe the true faith is when we recognize our desperate need for God. This is why Jesus said, to enter the kingdom of heaven, you must become like a little child. It is the path of humility and surrender that leads us to the saving work of Jesus. I have just a, an interesting aside story. I do, do this with my students as well. I, I think they like these little stories. Yes, thank you, Brother Tobin. <laughs> so uh, the wealthiest people I have ever preached to, 
And it wasn't because it was me. I just happened to be at the right place at the right time in Grand Teton National Park in Wyoming, preaching to tourists and employees. And here one day is Mr. and Mrs. Rockefeller and Mr. and Mrs. Firestone as in the tire. Uh, this would have been, uh, uh, well, this was in 1988. They were probably uh, in their 70s. Very wonderful people. Uh, for that sermon, I preached on the text, to enter the kingdom of heaven, you must become like a little child. And I remember what Mr. Rockefeller told me after the sermon. He said, very good job, young man. And obviously, you do not know my grandson. <laughs> I had nothing to say after that, just smiled, shook his hand, and he went on. And, uh, but still, little children recognize they need help with, with food and clothing and shelter and, and love and care. They need it. And we need Jesus. Why am I emphasizing this point? Because I think we need to be reminded of it simply because of when we live, when we, uh, where we are in human history in the society that we live in. Uh, through great uh, human smarts and ingenuity, uh, in America, we've got the food supply thing down, right? And clothing and shelter is its not a big deal. We, we got that covered. We have excellent health care. And even with the state of the economy that it's in, compared to other places in the world, we have career opportunities. We have a lot. And it's very easy to go through life thinking, boy, I'm in control. I've got things in control. But really, we are needy. Because... With the most important thing in life, a relationship with Almighty God, we can't do it at all on our own. We need God. I want to tell you, with joy in my heart, I have received the overwhelming grace of God into my life. Have received. And do you know what? Tomorrow, before I go into a school day and teach, I need God's grace in my life. I, I just can't do it on my, I could do it on my own, but to really make a difference, I need God's grace. Each one of us in this room, we need God's grace every single day in our lives. And as we live life with that sense of need, God is working in us, and we truly get the saving work of Jesus Christ. Second, the power of Jesus. The power of Jesus. There's something about us humans. We, we like to have power. Some of us more than others. In my home, I've got a little furry animal. A little D-O-G. And I have positioned myself in the household as the alpha male. And this dog looks at me with adoring eyes. And I say to the dog, sit. And the dog sits. I can open the door wide open to the outside. And I say, stay. And that dog stays. The great power trip. 
We all have different areas of influence, of power in our lives. Uh, I will tell you, I take very seriously the influence that I have with my students. And uh, it's important to keep my classes under control, but they're not always perfectly under control. This, I guess, keeps me humble. Uh, don't always have everything together there. Uh, so some people have a little power, some have a lot of power. Uh, but really, the power we have, it's pretty weak. It's not much when you consider the power of Jesus Christ. When the Apostle Paul talks about the power of Jesus Christ in this passage, it's like he gets out his thesaurus and he just kind of piles on the synonyms. He says, incomparably, great power. And then he says in the next line, mighty in strength. And what kind of power is this that through God's grace is available to us as believers? It's not just some little weak power. This power is the power of the resurrection of Jesus Christ being raised from the dead. And not only that, it is the power of the ascension. It is the power of the exaltation of Jesus Christ seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. This is the power that comes to those who believe in Jesus Christ. Amazing. This is the power. How does this power work itself out in our lives? I believe in one way. It is through the power of prayer. But when we pray, of course, we pray with an understanding of, of submission to a sovereign God. And I will tell you, I have seen amazing, powerful, mind-boggling answers to prayer in my life. And I have also prayed desperately for certain things, and it just hasn't worked out the way I have prayed for it. And so we do pray, and we do trust in a sovereign God to powerfully work in this world. As I was thinking about the power of God, I thought, where else in the book of Ephesians does it talk about power? This would help explain the type of power that the Apostle Paul is talking about. And so in Ephesians uh, chapter 3, verse 7, I became a servant of this gospel by the gift of God's grace given me through the working of his power. Simply that we have been brought from death to life in God through Jesus Christ, this is God's power in your life. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 3 to 5. All of us also lived among them at one time, among the world, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Verse 4, but because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. This passage is talking about the transformation of our desires, of our cravings. We should live a life that uh, shows goodness to the world around us. Uh, when we do, we are showing the light of Jesus. But of course, Almighty God sees our heart. He sees our motives and our desires. 
And we need to be honest with that before him. And we need to pray for God's power to do that continual deep cleansing work within our hearts to shift and change our desires and, their, and our motives so that they are according to the will of God. And this, my friends, is a lifelong pursuit. There are times in my life where I've seen God work shifting and and changing me for his, his glory. And then as I grow and mature, I, I see new areas in my life where, where motives and desires need to be formed and molded by the power of the Holy Spirit, by God's power. And then, of course, talking about power in the book of Ephesians, we cannot forget the spiritual armor passage in Ephesians chapter 6. When we put on the armor of God, we are operating in God's mighty strength so that no matter what happens in life, we will stand strong. That phrase is repeated over and over again in the spiritual armor passage. Standing strong in God, no matter what happens. This is the power of God at work in our lives and in his church. The power of Jesus. And then lastly, the rule of Jesus. The rule of Jesus. Who is in charge? Not just uh, on a personal level, but big picture. What are the big power players in our world? I think about the city of Chicago skyline. It is a world-famous picture and sight, and we live so close. It, this is really neat to look at, the skyline of Chicago. When you, when you look at the skyline of Chicago, you could say it's a testament to human engineering, to human business and commerce that has built this great city. When you go down Michigan Avenue and see these stores and the people and the crowds, you think about American marketing and and business, retail, and consumers. So much really a part of our lives. Uh, sure, there are some uh, beautiful sanctuaries in Chicago, but what Chicago is really known for is its, its tall buildings. It's Michigan Avenue. Last spring, for the first time, I got to go to London, and I was surprised at how short all of the buildings were. Now, they were building some skyscrapers off in one section of the city, but I was, I was not expecting this. And, and I asked somebody about this, and they said, well, for hundreds of years, the building code in London was that all buildings had to be shorter than the very top of St. Paul's Cathedral. Wow. What, what a symbol. What a point. I even even talked about government power and cultural power that has to do with, with the arts. Uh, very powerful. You know, I try to be the standard of cool at school, but I, I just don't cut it. Uh, my students look to other things. They go, oh, that is cool. And the coolness affects lives. 
That is power. So every day in our lives, we are surrounded by, by so much uh, power out there in the world, some good and some bad. And here we gather, relatively speaking, in this, this little room on a Sunday night, reading this passage. And what does it say? It says this, Jesus rules over all. The Lord Jesus Christ rules the church. He is the head of the church. And the church universal across this globe, it looks a lot of different ways, but it is unified under the headship of Jesus Christ. Jesus is with his church, and he empowers his people, the body of Christ, to do his work in the church. But the passage doesn't stop there. It says something else. Verse 22. And uh, what I've done here, I looked it up in four different Bible translations. Listen to how it progresses here. The first is the, is the English Standard Version. This is verse 22. And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church. Okay, here's the NIV. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church. The New Living Translation. God has put all things under the authority of Christ and has made him head over all things for the benefit of the church. And lastly, uh, a, a contemporary paraphrase, the message. At the center of all this, Christ rules the church. The church, you see, is not peripheral to the world. No, the world is peripheral to the church. My friends, Jesus Christ is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. He is the prime minister of prime ministers and the president of presidents. And one day, every knee will bow and every tongue will proclaim that Jesus Christ is God. You see, Jesus and his church stand at the center, the center of God's plan for human history. And this we must not forget. As we go into all of the different areas of life that God calls us to this week, we must remember that Jesus is over all. And his church is at the center of God's plan to do his work in this world. To God be the glory and all God's people said, Amen.